My good friend Kaylee Benson reminded me recently, because we talk about church and why we do church and why this is important and why the daylight experience is important and why another church in Louisville, and we have these conversations quite a bit. And she reminded me that very, very early on in our launch, and next week is our four-year anniversary, by the way. We've got some stuff coming up about that, which is really exciting. But when, when we started Daylight, a few months before we started our practice services, so before we even were a church at all, I decided to sit down and read through the Gospels like, like quickly. I wanted to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, actually, um, just as quickly as I could. And I think I read them in like three days. Just, I mean, that's what I did. I fasted and prayed and, and read. And I was looking for themes. And two things that stood out for me about the Gospels were just super apparent. When you read through them real quick, they just jumped off the page to me. And one was how lavish Jesus was with forgiveness. I mean, it's just constant. Like when somebody comes to Jesus, he embraces them. He, he doesn't care where they've been, who they were, what they've done. He, he, he offered forgiveness. He offered forgiveness so lavishly that the religious leaders hated him for it because they kind of wanted to keep people down. But Jesus was having none of that. And the second thing that jumped off the page at me, or the pages at me, was just how often food was involved in Scripture. Like, like the whole ministry of Jesus was sitting down and eating with people. It was almost all he did. If you just, re- just read them quickly and you'll see it. He's constantly eating with people. And so we decided we were going to try to incorporate that into how we do church and like sort of what we do as a church. And so we've tried to be kind of a church built around food. We've encouraged people to eat together. Uh, as, as a pastor and a pastor's wife, we've been very deliberate about having people to our home, and we're both introverts, and so this is a, this is a, a legitimate decision that we have to make. But we've, we want people at our homes constantly. Uh, we encourage our, our staff people get get a budget that they're allowed to eat out with. That's, that's part of their compensation package is that they have money that they're allowed to eat out with people from the church. So if you guys want a free meal, hit up some of my staff, and they'll be glad to oblige. But I'm, I'm calling today's sermon food. So we wanted to make it uh, around food and around a, a gathering place and a gathering table and sitting across from, uh, from one another at meals. And we've been pretty deliberate about that, and we're going to continue that. Like I said, next week is our four-year anniversary, and we're rebranding. We're, 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 we're new logos, new website, new stage design, new everything. And so I'm going to give you just a little taste of what you can expect tomorrow or next week. And next week, we're going to have t-shirts for our volunteers. And so if you're a volunteer, you're going to get a free t-shirt tomorrow, and this is what it's going to look like. And so that is, uh, that's the new logo, which is not represented in this picture very well. It's, it's a little sharper and crisper than that, but this is going to be the new look. And we're doing this t-shirt that says, Jesus ate with everyone, because we believe that was the heart of Jesus. And especially in Jewish culture back then, who you ate with said a lot about who you were. And, and you'll notice that in, in Scripture, Jesus got in trouble with who he ate with all the time, because he was eating with people that the religious folks thought he shouldn't be. And yet he did. He reached out. Now, Andrew Lutz has always got his little offshoot church called Daybright that he keeps trying to steal out from under me, this daylight church. And he, he sent this design in, which I just thought... <laughs> I, I, I just thought it was totally silly and not the message we're trying. So, so if you do disband and head to his church, just you'll know what you're getting into. There's an article online called Jesus Ate His Way Through the Gospels, and it's true. Uh, it, there's just, uh, there were so many stories of Jesus eating and eating meals with people, sharing meals with people, or feeding people. It would be almost impossible for me to think of all of them without going to a concordance and just looking up each one individually. And, this, and there's so many ancient oil paintings, not ancient, old oil, like medieval oil paintings about Jesus and his meals. And this one, of course, is the, is the one where he was eating at the Pharisee's home 
and a prostitute came in and started crying over him and washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And he got in trouble with that. The religious leaders didn't like that at all, that, she, was even, that he, she even showed up at this meal. She should not have been eating with them. And Jesus basically said, you guys are fools, you guys are idiots. She belongs here, you guys have issues. But he's eating with people. One of his great miracles was to feed 4,000 and 5,000 people on different occasions with very small amounts of food. And you'll notice in these passages that he was concerned about that because when he was teaching, he was healing people. I mean, blind people were seeing. People with leprosy, their skin was cleansed and baby soft. And so thousands of people were following him to the point where they weren't even eating because they wanted to be with him so bad, they'd go out into the wilderness. There's no 7-Eleven out there. They were just left without food. Not that anybody wants to eat at 7-Eleven anyway. What is the old vacation quote where he says, mmm, gas station sandwiches. I'm so hungry I could eat a gas station sandwich. They're just not, it's not, I'm off track here. I'm going to move on. But he was concerned about the crowds and their food situation. Like it was, this is one of the main reasons I like Jesus. He is, he's concerned about food. He's, he's concerned about your bellies. We, we, we see these pictures of the Last Supper. And even in this one, he's on the left, which is, which is totally off from all the others. In, in all the others, Jesus is front and center, and he still has a halo in this one, but in most of them, you see this Jesus where he's standing there doing something like this, and there's a halo around him, and everybody's kind of parted like the waters of the Red Sea, start, sort of away from so he's the center. That's not what these meals looked like. It was more like if we all went to Buca de Beppo and crammed into one room, and it was chaos, right? And so you even see there's dogs in, in this picture. This is probably a more realistic picture of the Last Supper than Michelangelo's. Michelangelo's was was Christocentric, which is nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't show the reality of him just eating food with his buddies. And that's what it was. And I've, I've, I ask this question as a point of interest sometimes. If, if it was your last meal, if you're on death row and you're offered a last meal, what would you eat? And the reality is when we talk about the Last Supper, that's exactly what we're talking about is someone who is going to be sentenced to death. And his, the last thing he wants to do is hang out with his friends and chow down and speak into their lives, and, get, and sit across the table from them, and, and give his parting words. Food was a big deal to Jesus. He ate his way through the Gospels. There's this, this, is, this is probably my favorite picture of Jesus. Most of them I hate, uh, but I get to use a couple of them today that I really like. And this is the story of where he raises a little, a little girl from death. She's died, and he, he walks into the room, basically, and says, little girl, get up. And the really interesting thing about this, and I've, I've even preached about this, is Right after this, right after she is raised from the dead, this is kind of a big deal. He says to the people there, he says, go get her something to eat. That's like his first thought is her belly needs to be full. He's just constantly somehow attached to this food idea. He would, he would teach at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, uh, the religious leaders of his time. And this one I'm not a big fan of because I, I just don't think Jesus was in the white robe and all so big all the time. I think he was kind of a normal Joe for most people. And that's kind of why they crucified him was because this normal Joe was claiming to be God, but he was doing all these miraculous things. But when he was, at the, when he was eating with the religious leaders, sometimes he would rebuke them. He would say, you guys are kind of messed up in the way that you think. And I, I tend to think there was, there was an actor that played Jesus once that decided every line he read he was going to read with a smile. He's going to read with joy. So we, we read, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you snakes and you vipers, you hypocrites. You try to wash the cup. But you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the... I think he was more all smiles. I think he was like, Pharisees, Sadducees. You know, you, you guys are... You're so worried about the outside of the cup and trying to get that clean. And the inside still is a mess. And you see, even just how you read the words is different. So the, whoever painted this picture read them the first way. This is not how I would paint the picture. I don't know, 
But just as a general idea about what Jesus was like, I tend to think he was the second kind of Jesus. That's, that's my take on it. But you do see him eating with people, and you see him really sad when he's not eating. This is my one or two favorite pictures of Jesus. And Jesus began his ministry by fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. He went out without food. It was a supernatural fast, according to Scripture. He did without food or water for 40 days, which you can't, you'll die after three days without water. Uh, there's two examples in Scripture of somebody doing this, and Jesus is one of them, maybe, maybe three examples. But he's hungry. I mean, he, it shows on his face in this picture. He's gaunt, he's haggard, his, 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 he, he's lost weight. Um, it's not easy for the Son of God not to eat as a man. And then the devil comes by. And we, it, it's funny, if you look up pictures of, if you try to find paintings of Jesus being tempted by the devil, they're all a devil with a long tail and a pitchfork and horns. And the Bible describes the devil appearing as an angel of light. And I think, that, I think the devil would be a nice guy. He, I mean, he'd be the kind of guy you'd want to spend time with. He, he, he's, he's tricky like that. But he shows up and he says, you know what you need, Jesus? You need to turn those rocks down there into some really beautiful, bready yeast rolls. And that would be just fantastic. And I think most of us probably, I'm, I'm trying to eat keto, so I'm eating no carbs. So this picture is just death. I just can't handle this picture. I don't even want to look at it. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced the devil had like sorghum molasses in a jar that he, and butter that he was going to spread all over these rolls. But Jesus, the first temptation of Jesus' entire ministry was food. I mean, this food that you can't get away from it. And, and I promise, if you open up the Gospels and you read through them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see many, many more examples than this where food is a pivotal part of the story. And as, as we talk here, just briefly, we're going to serve communion today, the Lord's Supper, and so we're, we're talking about that. And as we talk about it, you'll see that there's a spiritual element to this whole thing. But we see passages of Scripture where it talks about food and Jesus, and I don't know why it just says Matthew. It should, it's Matthew 9, 10. And, and I, I use the King James Version on this because I really like how they say one particular thing. It says, Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him. And his disciples, the publicans were tax collectors, which we talked about last week or the week before. These were the dredges of society, the worst of the worst, like legitimately bad people, like really bad people. And, and people, people didn't like that Jesus sat and ate with these people. And it said he sat at meat. And so if you're a vegetarian, you're against the Bible. I just think that's really clear there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus liked a good steak now and then. That's, all, that's the reality. No, this is the King James Version. The others phrase it differently, but I think King James got, got this one right. I, I, think, I think he had a pork chop and some ribs. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. But it says when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw it. I, I don't know why these are so messed up on the screen. I apologize. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Publicans, like I said, were tax collectors. And, and later, in, uh, like if you go to, to Britain or to England and, and hear the language now, in British English, a publican now is a pub owner. So, so Jesus was, was eating with the people that were questionable in those days. And the religious leaders didn't like it. But Jesus ate with everyone. This is how they accused him. They said the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Because they, they fasted off. The religious leaders were very pious and very holy. And they didn't, they didn't eat too much. They were very careful about how much they consumed. They you know, watched their bodies. And they would fast twice a week. And and, 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 and stay, stay away from all kinds of stuff that they didn't want to put in their bodies. They were very concerned about different types of meat. And, and, and they, they got rid of pork, which means they got rid of bacon, which something was seriously messed up with those guys, and Jesus called them on it. And they weren't very excited about it. But they said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified 
by her deeds. People didn't like the idea that Jesus ate with everybody. They didn't like, they, it's pretty crazy if you think how unmerciful people can be about someone who is merciful. And that's what, that's what you're seeing in the life of Jesus. He was just merciful. He just loved people. He, he pulled the table out into the hallway and said, everybody come eat. And people didn't like it because they wanted to keep their classes. They wanted to keep people separate. They wanted to keep races separate. They wanted to keep religions separate. And Jesus said, hey, we're all going to come in and eat at this table at the kingdom of God. And some people were not very happy about it. But then you see Jesus consistently making this transition from like physical, carnal food to something transcendent, something spiritual. And so he says things like, man, so when the devil comes to tempt him with yeast rolls, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He says, basically, food is important, but food is not what is ultimately important. There's something beyond that. But he relates it to the food idea. And he tells this parable about the sheep and the goats that we've shared in here pretty often, uh, where the sheep are on one side and the goats are on the other, and the, the sheep represent the good guys and the ba- goats represent the bad guys, and the sheep are the ones that have helped people and the goats are the ones who have not helped people. And Jesus basically says, you guys did it wrong, you guys did it right, let's, let's go where we're supposed to go from here. Well, the very first thing he says to them is, the people who got it right found others who were hungry and gave them food. Like, this is a base teaching for Christians, is if you're a Christian, you feed people who are hungry. And I think this is not only physical, but it's transcendent. It transcends physicality. It's, it's beyond carnality. It's you're, you find people who are hungry, because Jesus said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So when he says that, he's not necessarily talking about bacon. He's not talking about yeast rolls. He's talking about something else that people are hungry for, and that we should be feeding that hunger that people have. And he says of himself, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And at at one point, he even said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will never have a part in my kingdom. And a bunch of his people got freaked out by that because it sounded like cannibalism. And so a lot of his disciples left, and it was really only his core friends that stuck around. I mean, he was abandoned by most, all these thousands of people following him were like, whoa, that's a little much there, Jesus. But he's obviously not talking about physical things. He's not talking about literally physically eating my body. He's saying, you consume the sacrifice that I give. And so when he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I think he's talking about something beyond food. I think food is important. I think it's so important that we develop community by sitting across the table from one another. The people you eat with the most are the people you're closest to, period. That's just the reality. It's, it's, it's like this base thing that you do one, two, six times a day, and you sit across from somebody and you join their life. So when we're, we're talking about communion, we, we find this, this root of commune, and a, a commune is where people live together. Communion is a connection between people. Uh, community is connection. And so it, it turns into this whole thing being about a, a, a beyond physical connection with people. And so as we take the Lord's Supper today, it's, it's called the Eucharist, uh, which is basically the grace of Christ. You, you, you see ka in there. Ka is the uh, eucar, car, charism is the charisma. So you've heard of charismatics, and charismatics believe in the, the grace of God is alive today and works in miracles today. Uh, charism or, or, or charisma is based on the, the root word, the Greek root word for, for grace. And so you find in this an act of grace on God's behalf that we can eat together. Uh, But it's also been called communion, like we've talked about, which is a sense of community and communal. 
but then it's also called the Lord's Supper, and it was his last act. It was, it, right before, if you could do anything before you die and you do that thing, obviously that thing's very important to you. So the, the, the thing that was on Jesus' mind was we got to all get together. we got to all connect. we got to all be close and sit across the table from one another, and that's what he wanted to do. And so when we, we, you may have noticed if you've been here for a little while that we don't take communion every week as a, as a church body, but instead uh, we take it about once a quarter and we try to make a big deal out of it. We, I, I've, I've seen it done both ways and it's very special no matter what. We make the communion elements available to you anytime you want. Some of you uh, do prefer to take communion every single week and make that an act of your worship and we're totally open to that and have no issues with that. Um, but I've also experienced it where communion just kind of becomes a ritual that you fly into and out of in a service, and we kind of never wanted to make it that either. And so we've just chosen to do it quarterly and take some time to do it. And at the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper, this is, this is what we see written about it. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's saying, he's saying this is, I'm presenting my body as a sacrifice for you, and I want you to remember me. So, so right here we see that we're remembering something that has been done. So there's, a, there's a, a, a sort of the past here. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So now, now we see that he's saying, you're going to remember what I did, and now I'm starting something new right here, right now. So you see the past, and you see the present. You see, I want you to remember what God did, and I want you to notice what God is doing now. You see that in the words of Jesus. And he says, do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, for every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And again, now we see the future. He He says, you're going to proclaim my death until I come back. So there's this sense that he's saying, I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to notice what I'm doing now. And I want you to see what I'm going to do, what I'm planning to do. I want, I want your thoughts of me to consume everything, the past, present, and the future. 